Alrighty, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli salatan kamila wa sallim salaman tamman ala sayyidina Muhammadin. Alladhi tanhallu bihi al-uqad wa tanfarij bihi al-kurab tukla bihi al-hawaij wa tunalu bihi al-raghaib wa husnu al-khawatim wa yustasqa al-ghamamu bi wajhi al-kareem. For everybody about uh, our Instagram, we uh, must have offended Instagram, so they're telling us uh, for the benefit of the rest of the Instagram community, we are limiting your behavior or uh, how often you can do certain things on Instagram. That's what it says here. That's the note that it says here. So whatever. Uh, I'll try to get to your questions as much as possible, and if not, then you can migrate to my Facebook page or to YouTube. All right, uh, but we'll see what happens. Today, we're, we're on stories of the awliya, and we're going to talk today about one of the most celebrated, one of the most earliest awliya that we have in our history. It goes by the name of Ibrahim ibn Adham, and a lot of you have heard about the great Ibrahim ibn Adham, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes uh, one of the signs of his qabul, his acceptance of his awliya, is that he spreads their name and he spreads their dhikra, their mention, and their name is widespread all throughout the lands. And sometimes it's, it's not true what they did. Sometimes Allah Ta'ala will spread uh, about Abd stories that are more pious than his actual behavior. Okay, and that happens. And there was one time a man who came and uh, he heard people talking about him in the haram, al-Makki. And the people said, subhanAllah, so-and-so, I've heard about him, I've never met him, and, but I've heard that he prays all night and he fasts every other day. SubhanAllah. And they were like, oh, subhanAllah, mashallah. He said, oh, Allah, you spread about me something greater than my own reputation. He said, well, and he told his companions, wallah, I've never had a period where I've fasted every other day nor do I ever, did I ever pray the entire night. Okay? But Allah Ta'ala will spread about his ibad more than what they've done. And it's assumed that this could be from the meaning of that we've transformed their hasanat, their, their bad deeds into good deeds. Or that we've taken their good deeds and expanded them. That's the mentality you go through when you read these stories that, that don't always come with asanid. Okay? Abu Nu'im al-Isfahani was one of the first to write a lot about the great scholar or, or the great uh, worshiper. He, he never act, behaved like a scholar or acted like a scholar or was a, a scholar, although he did study. Ibrahim ibn Adham. He's from an Arab family that lived in Persia, Khurasan. He's from Tamim, uh, from the Rabi'ah uh, of the Central Arabians. That's, that's where his origin's from, but they lived far away in Khurasan, in Balkh. Uh, so he's Persian in his culture. Uh, lived with the, of the Arabs that lived that had migrated there, and his father was a landowner. His father was a rich landowner from that area, and he he had a lot of hunting grounds. And the story of Ibrahim uh, is that it, evolved, it begins with two things, uh, two things by which it begins. And this, what I'm going to tell you, is one of the ways that it gets sewn together. The first thing is that he was a pompous and rich uh, kid. Right? They're lo uh, as you know, these rich kids, they, they, they have to find different hobbies. One of his hobbies was not really a lawful hobby. was basically get on his horse, go into the, to the land that his father owned, and he would hunt. But not for food, just purely for fun. 
So one story says that he was there was a fox. Another story says it was a rabbit. Another story says it was a gazelle. Whatever it was, it was an animal. And he had no intent to eat him. He was just hunting it for fun. And as he was about to hunt this animal, the animal spoke. And in another narration of it, he just heard a voice and says, Have you been created to do this? So he, he said, He thought shaitan is messing with him. He went again, he chased it, and as he's about to fire, he says, He said, Shaitan's messing with me here. Then he chased after it again, and then he heard the voice, Ya Ibrahim, ma lihada khuliqt. Oh, Ibrahim, you weren't created for this. And he realized at that time that something amazing had just happened. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sending him a message to get to start behaving right. So he said from that point, he began to change his ways. That was the starting point of changing his ways. When he started changing his ways, he got involved in his family's politics. And the family politics at that time was that they were supporters of the Umayyads. And that the Abbasid Abu Muslim, the revolt, had started in Persia, in Khurasan. They had started the revolt there. And when they started that revolt, his family and his whole tribe, they were on the Umayyad side. And they were against this revolution. And they fought against this revolution, okay, but Abu Muslim conquered them and defeated them. And so he fled. So these two things happen at the same time of Ibrahim ibn Adham's life. That he had his religious revival, or he had a, a complete transformation of his deen. Yet at the same time, he got himself involved, in, embroiled in some political matters that forced him out. And he went from Persia, he went down until he reached the mountains of Syria. And he loved the mountains of Syria. And he lived there as he said, he would say, Everyone who sees me thinks I'm waswas. They think I'm crazy. But rather, I prioritize hajj and ghazwa over bread and water. That was it. That was his saying. He was a complete zahid. He was from the school, like you can say of Awais al-Qarni. Which if you remember, Awais al-Qarni never made it to the rank of suhba. He was never a sahabi. So there's a reason why he was never a sahabi. Because his way, although it exists in the ummah, it's not the example. Nobody could wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to follow the method of Uwais al-Qarni, I'm never going to marry, I'm never going to have a job, I'm just going to be homeless and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sleep wherever I sleep. You're not allowed to actually do that. Only if it happens to be that's your life, then that's your life. It could, if it happens. And it happened to Ibrahim ibn Adham. He went to Syria and he went to Kufa and he went to the different lands and he studied hadith. And back in the day, studying meant studying hadith. Okay? He took hadith from Su uh, Sufyan al-Thawri. Uh, the great scholar Sufyan al-Thawri, and he read from him. And then he took on odd jobs, and he bounced from different odd jobs to different circles of shiuch, to different uh, masajid to worship Allah in. And when there was hajj, he would go to hajj, but if there was ghazwa, he would go to ghazwa. Yeah. And he never married, and he never stabilized in terms of having one job, one wife, etc., 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 the way other, everyone else stabilizes. He never did that. He was just wandering like this. One of his job is that he, uh, he was uh, guarding grapes one time. Can Ibrahim ibn Adham yahrusu karman? And we're going to take this from one of the more uh, solidified stories of Ibrahim ibn Adham. Only a small page or so. There's a lot of stories of Ibrahim ibn Adham. But this one is from Ar-Risal al-Qushayriya, one of the more trustworthy books. And again, these things don't have to be with the Senate. It's a story, and it's just sort of transmitted down by the pious 
right? And the, the scholars read it, and we, we consider it that it's as if Allah is rewarding these these awliya, you know, with be, by being on the mention of, of, of pious people's attempt to be pious uh, by reading their stories. So he says here, he was guarding grapes, and he had an attitude of always being against his nafs. That was his approach. His deen was contradict your nafs at all times, contradict your nafs. So a guard came, and he says, give us some grapes. We're, we're it's hot. Give us some grapes. So f he says, I'm not allowed to do that. My, the owner never said this. They said, yeah, but no, it's not going to hurt. We're, uh, we're guards, and it's only a few grapes. He said, no, I wasn't ordered to do this. So the guard, they got into altercation, and the guard hit him. Okay, Hit him uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on his shoulder, over his shoulder. Okay, So... We expect someone to fight back, not this type of dervish who's against his nafs. He comes back to him and he says, right here, hit me right here on the head. It's going to be good for my nafs to get hit on the head. Right? We completely obliterate the ego. The guard looked at him and said, this man's crazy. Let's walk away. Right? And they just walked away. So, hit this, this sinner. Hit him here. He's just disobeyed Allah. The guard said, this man is insane. Walked away. Most of his dua was, كَانَ أَغْلَبُ دعائي, مِنْ إِلَىٰ Oh Allah, transmit me, move me from the humiliation of, dis, uh, of, di, of disobedience unto the glory of obedience. Because disobedience in the afterlife is considered, or in the heavens, it's considered humiliation. If you had news that said that so-and-so walked around urinating in public, or so-and-so walked, entered a room or something with defecation all over him and all over his face. So that's humiliation in this world. So likewise, if someone sins with their eyes, that news goes up to the heavens. Your record is going up. That's how it's received, with disgust. Malaika looking at it with disgust. You may love sins here. Wine is always put in a nice bottle. Zina is viewed as like, uh, like a a thing like at least you're desirable. If you're committing zina, that sort of, there's sort of a uh, thing there where at least women like you, right? But that's in this world where some sins are wrapped, not some, the, the uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, sins in this world are wrapped with sweetness on the outside and it's bitter on the inside. So hellfire has been surrounded with desirable things. So most sins appear very desirable, right? Most sins do appear desirable with temptation. But in the after in the heavens, they, they're in they're only in their real form, which is disgust. And it's something that the Mala'ika meet with disgust. Okay. He says here about, about him that he fled and he had a few companions. Wherever he would go, he would make a few companions. They would sit in the circles of knowledge and they would worship Allah day and night and they would take odd jobs and they would fast and they were all extremely thin and skinny from the amount of fasting that they did. And then they would just move from place to place to place. He says, I cannot, Ibrahim says, uh, according to Abu Nu'aym al-Isfahani, he says, I cannot enjoy life outside Syria. He loved Asham. He was from, a, he, he, he moved to Sham and he died in Sham. He said, I'm, a one, I'm wandering steep in the mountains, living the life of taqwa. Right? No dunya whatsoever. No, as we said earlier, this is not the sunnah, but if it happens to somebody in a phase of life or otherwise, he says, those who find me, they always say, he's delusional. Right? 
or that he's just like uh, he just just does odd jobs here and there. They only view him as that. He said, "Wallahi, it seems these people they have no value for Hajj and Jihad, and all they value is the loaf of bread in their mouth." Okay. In another story about him, he says here that he spent some time in the Syrian desert, in a khalwa, worshiping Allah day and night. There he met a man. This man began to teach him al-ism al-a'zam, the name by which ida du'ya bihi ajab. If a person calls upon Allah with this name, this ism al-a'zam, Allah answers his du'a. And then he walked and he came upon another man. He came upon Abdul Rahman al-Sulami. Abdul Rahman al-Sulami. He came upon him. Qala Ibrahim. He says, uh, I came upon him and he said, it must be Al-Khidr who taught you that. And, and in the literature you'll find that Al-Khidr, who's the same man that met Sayyidina Musa, it has a unique status that he, has, he lives a long life and he doesn't live like other humans. He lives under the Sharia of every prophet but he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. He's very unique. And he dies only in the Akhir Zaman. And it's said that he, the Jal kills him. That he's the one who splits, who's split. And the story of the Dajjal splits a man and then brings him back together. He says, Now do you believe I'm God? He said, Now I'm, I'm actually more certain that you're the Jal because the Prophet predicted this. So, uh, Allahu Alam about this, but it is in the works of many, many, many Mufassireen. And you could read it on your own. This is not my theory. That Al-Khidr is somebody who lives a long life. And he meets many Salihin and it's said that Imam al-Nawawi used to meet Sayyidina al-Khidr every other year in the last 10 nights of Ramadan in Al-Quds. That Sayyidina uh, al-Imam al-Nawawi used to do i'tikaf in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa every other year in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And there he would have meetings with Sayyidina al-Imam al-Khidr or Sayyidina al-Khidr. I can't say Imam al-Khidr because he's not the leader of Muslims. He's, he's a figure that exists in the pious, in the works of the, the books of piety and the qasas of the awliya. Okay. He was making tawaf one time and a man came to him and he said, So a man came and he had an appearance of piety. So Ibrahim ibn Adham came and he started to tell him certain things. And he said, there are six things that you have to traverse. At some point in other, you must experience it. Not going to be all the time. But at some point or other, you must experience these six things in order to be really, truly called pious. All right. So what are these things? He says, number one, close the door of soft blessings and open the door of roughness and, and hardships. At some point in life, you cannot be a pious person. At least some point in life, you're going to have to face hardships. Okay? That's the first thing he said. He said, number two, you close the door of fame and you open the door of humility. That you have to open, at some point, you're just a regular person. Now, by the way, sometimes you can have a person who is extremely glorious in their wealth. right? They're extremely wealthy and they're extremely popular. Now when they want to humble themselves, they go to the opposite extreme and they wear the patch clothes and they're completely zero. But guess what? That's also very much attention getting. That's why there are many imams, if you read in their books, they say do not wear the clothes of the poor. 
If you're not poor, don't wear the clothes of the poor. Only two two things could happen, both of which are bad. Number one, that they may think you're zakah eligible, and they give you zakah, whereas you not you don't need zakah. Number two, they may think you're so pious that he doesn't even care what he wears. He's so pious. That's not good for you either. This is one of the reasons why it's one of the sayings of Imam Malik. He did not like the long beard. Why? Because you're gonna it's shuhra, fame for your piety or something. Have a beard, fist length, or whatever people call a beard. Okay? That, that's, then everyone has that. A lot of pious Muslims have uh, a fist length or whatever your society calls beard. Okay? That's a beard. Why do you need to have one that sticks out and everyone talks about you? Okay? So this, this type of shuhra, libas shuhra, meaning, libas shuhra does not mean unique clothes that say, oh, he always wears that red jacket. No. Libas shuhra, means people will call you pious. Okay, that's riya. It's sum'a. A sum'a is reputation. People are going to talk about you. Okay, riya is physically showing yourself to be more pious for the sake of other people uh, to, uh, looking at you and saying that. So he said, the door of humility. Sometimes the most humble thing is to be an average Joe, right? What every other Muslim does. Sometimes that's the most humble thing to do because... If, you, if, if, if you're doing the thing that 50 other people are doing, what's the big deal? So it's oftentimes uh, uh, going from one to the other, from very worldly and materialistic extreme to now a very pious and you got patched frock and you're just praying all day and you're just that. Because that's also a way of getting attention. There's also famous and infamous. Someone tries to be famous. He wants to be beloved by everyone. He fails at that. What does he do? to be hated by everybody. You're still getting attention, right? It's still an attention grab. It's just in reverse. It's almost a little bit, you want the attention so badly, it's perverse that you want, I'd rather be hated by everybody than ignored. See, that's a complete, that's the problem. You're still wanting attention. So to be ignored is deadly for the, for the ego. To be ignored because you're just so average, right? And that's one of the values of the urf of the Muslims, right? What's the orf of a Muslim? Well, we, we, pious Muslims will make dress a certain way. That's pretty common, right? Common thobe, right? The beard may look a certain way, common. Wear a certain cat, common. So everything's common about them in terms of it doesn't look like you're more pious or less pious than everybody else. So you're just one of them. That's really tough on the ego. All right, remember, libas is shuhra is any way of acting or behaving that people would say you're pious. Okay. All right, next, he says here, الثالث, تغلق باب الراحة وتفتح باب الجهد. All right, relaxation and ease, close that door. Open the door of mujahada. Jahid to shahid. Struggle, spiritual effort. Spiritual effort. This ibadah, it takes work. And that's why, that's, that's why we're here, to keep pushing each other. Every time I say it, it's a motivation for myself. You put effort in the Prophet. There's one hadith that mentions 60 ayahs of Quran to be read. That should be like a minimum, right? There, You look at the surah that you're reciting. It's got 30 ayahs. The next one's got 30 ayahs. Read them both. At least, minimum, right? Recite, reciting Quran daily for a working person it is not going to happen without extra effort. Not going to happen except you're doing it. Uh, one time a sheikh uh, from Yemen, his murid said, I'm so busy, I can't recite. He said, recite on the motorcycle while you're going to work. 
So she got a guy with his wife and kid. He's reciting Quran on the motorcycle because that's how they transport. That's the cheapest transport is a little, little motorcycle, a sikil, which they call it. So it has to have mujahada. This thing has to be with effort. Fasting is not easy. It's with effort. Adhkar is not easy. It's with effort. If someone sees the, my, my iman is going up and down and up and down, it's because you don't have a steady state. You don't have a steady wirt every morning and every evening. You don't ever miss your awrad. Right. You close the door of sleep and open the door of being awake, waking up. Waking up in the middle of the night in the, is the greatest time for dua. The Prophet ﷺ said, it's dubra kulli salat al-maktubat the middle of the night closer to the last third okay so that's uh if you if you don't wake up at that hour drink uh, some good amount of water before you sleep not too much but a decent amount you'll have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and that's going to be your alarm clock that the, the times in which you have no need for anybody to the time in which you can't you barely have enough to live this is al-faqr at some point or other it's actually good to feel that a little bit now you can at least relate to people but also you feel how needy you are to Allah you'll find yourself making dua like you've never done before okay? because at some point or other to taste being in need it's extremely good for our souls. Close the door of having these long dreams and long hopes and open the door to be getting ready for death. Okay, And imagining that death could come at any moment. And when you do that, what you're actually doing is you're releasing air out of the balloon. You're releasing all the pressure. Why are you pressuring yourself to have this perfect life here in this life? In this dunya, that pressure can't be all the time. Sometimes you strive and sometimes you let it go. In the daytime, you should strive. Once the night falls, you have to let it go. Khalas, imagine that this is my last night. That's it. I live my life. I'm done. What you're doing is you're releasing so much pressure from yourself. And you're letting yourself, yourself relax. Khalas, I lived. Now I'm going to go meet my Lord. And you could close your phone. You could close everything. Don't talk to me. Don't check my email, whatever. And completely just go into a spiritual state in which it's over. I'm done. I'm going to meet Allah today. And you put your head on the pillow, imagining that, you release. You wake up the next morning, you get back to work. The problem is one or the other. You can't hop on one foot, right, and expect to get anywhere. You have to walk on two feet. There must be a time of raja, striving for a better life from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Getting a better life from Allah in the halal. For the sake of Allah. For the sake of just having His bounty. And there has to be a time where you cool that all off completely, where you say, khalas, life is over, I'm done. Today I sleep, I, I die. I go to the afterlife. And you're going to find yourself, you can do this forever. You don't burn yourself out. And if you have too much of dhikr al-mawt and khalas, life is over, you're not supposed to be like that at 9 a.m. You're supposed to be go, going out and, 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 and striving. You're not supposed to wake up at 9 a.m. say, khalas, hayat al-dunya and this is life is over, blah, blah, blah. You won't get anywhere in life. You will find yourself, you will wake up in 10 years and realize everyone is married and has kids and has money and you're just like zero. 
What did you get? What did you get out of life? So you have to still live. All right, so there's a time for this and there's a time for that. It is said, قَالَ سَهْنِ ibn Ibrahim. I was, I, I was uh, a companion of Ibrahim ibn Adham. So I got sick. So he spent all on me. He worked extra to get me food, to get me medicine. Okay, And I wanted some food. And sick people, you should give them what they desire. Like they ever tell you that when you're sick? Your mother says, eat whatever you want. The doctor says, whatever he wants to eat, you should eat it. Because it's as if your body is saying, this is the nutrient that I need. So he said he desired a certain food. And Ibrahim went out and he got him that food. Now when, he, when I got better and we were going somewhere, I said, Ibrahim, you're walking? He, he said, yeah. He said, what happened to your donkey? He said, I sold it. I said, sold it? What would you sell it for? He said, you wanted that food, right? I had to sell the donkey for that. Right? So he says, now what am I going to ride? He said, then when he got sick a second time, he gave him a ride to the doctor. He carried him on his back to the doctor. This is the type of suhbah that Ibrahim had. Right with his with his people, those two those people. There's a book by Abdurrahman al-Sulami. You should read it. It's um, it's called the um, um, uh, Book of uh, Chivalry, the Book of, Sh- of Chivalry, Kitab al-Futuwa. In it, it says that there's levels of relationships, and this is actually important to talk about. There are levels of relationships. There's there's the relationship of you just simply you, you someone is your brother in Islam. At that point, there's the very bare minimum of relationship. Now, I want to set you free about something. When we read these books of piety and everything, there is nothing greater than the sharia. The sharia, when it gives you a right, you should never imagine that following your right or taking your rights, your hukuk, is, is, is lowly. For example, the sharia says, If someone knocks on the door and you don't want to talk to them, Right? The Sharia says that the person in his home, he may be busy. Maybe he's not in the mood. Maybe he doesn't want to talk. He has absolutely no obligation to talk. The person in his house may say to the person who's knocking, go back. Or may simply not answer the door at all. Like I could be sitting in my home. Someone's knocking at the door. This is because we don't know our law. And I say, hey, hey who's knocking at the door? I say, oh, so-and-so's knocking at the door. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm doing something right now. I don't feel like getting the door. You may think, oh my gosh, that's rude. Wait a second. Let's look at the sharia. You don't know people's business, their state. I might be in a, he might be with his wife. He might be educating his kid. He might be scolding his kid. He may just have had a fight with his wife. Leave them. He might be eating. He might be dirty. He may be, have taken his clothes off and he's wearing his garbage clothes in his house because he's just so tired. You have the absolute right, if the phone rings, not to answer. If somebody uh, uh, knocks on the door, not to answer. It's your right. So, so some people, they take, think this, this piety is that I have to bend over and be a doormat for everybody. No, it's not. What's more pious than, 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 than the sharia, for both as my rights and my responsibilities at the same time? Now, if it's like, what is a responsibility? If it's my parent, that's different. If it's an elder, that's different, right? Because those are exceptions. That's the general rule. You never have to open the door for anybody. I don't have to answer anyone's calls or anyone's messages. Okay, You know, some people, they send me messages. Oh, you didn't answer me. Excuse me. You don't understand the relationship here. I don't have to answer. Nobody has to answer anybody. Everything is a courtesy. Okay, So that is a simply 
a Muslim to a Muslim, he just has basic rights. That's it. Like the five rights the Prophet and responsibilities. That if he sneezes, say, Alhamdulillah. If he invites you to a wadima, if it's halal, then go to it. If he dies, go to his janazah. If he's sick, ask about him. The five rights of a Muslim. If he greets you, respond the greeting. So then there's people that you start to befriend, a suhbah. You keep their company on purpose. You willingly keep their company. And then there's the khalil, the very close friend who all of your business, and between that there's a, 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 a sadiq. So there's a sahib, someone who's generally you keep their company. Where? In the public mosque. The masjid's public. Masjid is a place where we make our friends. Why? Because everyone goes there. I can hang out with you. I can not hang out with you. It's up to me. If I see you in the prayer line, I can go pray next to you. If I don't want to, I can go pray somewhere next to you. No offense. No, no offense should be taken. You can befriend whom you want in the masjid. Okay? As long as I'm not intentionally not answering your salam. So then, from the masjid emerges a suhbah. All of us are ashab. As long as we're in the same place, at the same time, we know each other, that's a suhbah. Okay? We're in each other's company. From there, we choose our sadiq, our friend. The friend is someone you trust now, and you enjoy to be with them, and you invite them to their house, they invite you to your house. Amongst your friend circle, not all friends are the same, there's the best friends. Al-Khalil. The Khalil, he's totally in all your business. You're in all his business. Willingly. You love each other that much. Okay? I'm actually a little bit suspicious about this, to be honest with you. Most of the time, I find that women are, are like that. They're in each other's lives a lot. But I also oftentimes see that they can get burned a lot, too. Because sometimes it, those things don't go. I, I like the level of sahib and sadiq. Those are the best levels, right? But at the same time, don't forget you have rights. You don't have to befriend everybody. You don't have to talk to everybody. This is a right Allah gave you. You should never feel guilty for taking it. Okay? So, uh, unfortunately, I had a brother the other day who basically interrogated me on WhatsApp. Wait a second. Why am I bothered by this? It's my 100% shara'i right to simply ignore the person. What he thinks, he thinks. What do I care? Right? It's my right to do that. By sharia. I don't have to answer you. I don't, I don't know you. You're not my elder. That You're my amu that I, I really have to answer you out of adab. Or you're my father. Or you're my sheikh. Or someone who, owes, who I owe haq to. So you have to give yourself that right. And the best relationship is the sahib and the sadiq. The khalil you have to pick that very carefully, right? I don't know how people, they let each other into each other's lives so much. What happens if this thing goes sour? People change all the time. So point being is that you can, you can read up on that in uh, Abdurrahman al-Sulami's book, The Book of Chivalry. So this is Ibrahim ibn Adham who went on to live a life of piety and zuhud, absolute zuhud, okay? Uh, he's a Persian, and he's end up buried somewhere, they say either. He's buried in Syria, in one of the hills of Syria, or he was buried outside of Constantinople, where he went on one of the raids of the general area we would call Anatolia. Because when they call Bilad al-Rum, Bilad al-Rum was Anatolia, what we call today Anatolia or Turkey. Uh, Constantinople being the capital building center, but they had a lot of land outside that. Okay? And they owned all that land. 
and uh, so the Muslims would go, and there would be these skirmishes back and forth, and said that he died on that day, or, or, or in that battle. Okay. All right, folks, that's our story for one of the awliya of the day. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of information about him, but it's one of those that you can't have stories of the awliya without mention and the dhikra of the great Ibrahim ibn Adham. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has wanted him um, uh, mentioned on the tongues of the, sal- uh, of the salihin, which is these books. They've mentioned them, and when we read them, we always read his name, one of the top names. Uh, the tomb of Ibn Ibrahim ibn Adham. Ibn Battuta visited Jabala, traveling through Syria, and he writes, Ibn Battuta, you know Ibn Battuta, the great traveler. He says, at the tomb of Ibrahim ibn Adham is a fine religious house, a zawiyah. There's a zawiyah for worshipers. A zawiyah is not a public mosque, but it's semi-public, but it's not a masjid. It's a place for the worshipers, right? For the devoted worshipers, okay? And there they have a fountain and a water pool and food is served to everybody. That's what we're going to make here, the Dawah Center. It's going to be like a zawiyah and food is going to be served and people are going to come in and, and learn about Islam. Uh, its intendant, the, the person who was running it, was Ibrahim al-Jumahi, okay? People came from all parts of Syria to visit this zawiyah on the night of mid uh, uh, Nisr al-Sha'ban, which is coming upon us, okay, Nisr al-Sha'ban, and uh, they would make du'a and spend all night in ibadah. They're making du'a, and then he said a great fair is held here, a souk, a fair meaning all the merchants come and they sell things outside of this zawiyah, and stuff of all kinds is sold there, and the fuqara who have renounced the world they stay there. And then they take part buying and selling in the souk. Uh, yes, they've re- renounced the world, but they still need to live. So they'll buy and sell or they'll, they'll help put up the tents or whatever. And they'll work there. So uh, that um, Ibn Battuta says that he went and he saw the grave of Ibrahim ibn Adam. And it was right, and right next to it was a, a zawiyah there. And the zawaya are very special places. They're places, they're the abodes of the worshippers. And these ubad are people in different forms of stages of life. Sometimes old, retired. Sometimes youth, they just have some time of year before, life before they move on with their life. Sometimes they're penitent people. Sometimes they're, they're alcoholics who have repented from their alcoholism and they need a support group to, to firm down their iman and their, and their, and their habits. Zawaya are great. This Dawah Center is going to be a Zawiya. Our Dawah Center is, we already have Dalai Al-Khairat every Monday night. They, they did it this week, right? Dalai Al-Khairat every Monday night. Fuqara. Fuqara meaning people, they're coming for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A public mosque is different. Public mosque, huh? Yeah, we have Aqidah Durus there, right? The, the public mosque is different. It caters to like the, the generality of the Ummah. Okay. And the Zawiyah is a place for those types of uh, fakirs, they call them. According to Ibn Battuta, it was a celebrated place, okay? And that a nice mosque was constructed around there, like a public mosque, okay? In the Mamluk times, when the Mamluks took over and they traveled to Syria, they, they built a big mosque next to the tomb of Ibrahim ibn Adham. And one of the sultans, he describes it as follows. He says... The Sultan arrived at Jabala, okay, uh, located on the coast, 
and he, he visited the tomb of Sheikh Ibrahim ibn Adham. And Jabala is a small town next to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. All right, and its inhabitants are very simple people. The inhabitants were very simple people. Sultan Qaitbay, the famous Sultan Qaitbay, he officially visited the tomb of Ibrahim ibn Adham. Okay. And so uh, on and on goes the story of Ibrahim ibn Adham. Here's a story. Ibrahim ibn Adham, uh, he was in Balkh and he was an Amir. He was like a young prince. One day he sat at the council in his palace, in his dad's palace. An Arab with a camel came in. Ibrahim says, where are you from? And, he, and where are you going? He said, I'm a camel driver hoping to stay at this area. He said, what are you talking about? This isn't, this isn't a rest stop. This is a palace. The man said, does it belong to you? He said, yes. He said, to whom did it belong before you? He said, to my father. And whom belonged before him? He said, my grandfather. He says, I understood. And where are they now? He said, they all died. And now I own the palace. Ibrahim did not say this. Uh, he said, Ibrahim, did I not say this is just a caravanserai, which means this is just a, uh, a pit stop? Right? The, the Arab man said, it's a pit stop. No, it's not a pit stop. It's a palace. He said, wait, he's like, your dad had it. Your grandfather had it. Now you have it. So it's a pit stop. Right? It's a pit stop. They're all dead. Okay? And now you have it. And soon you'll be dead and someone else will have it. Ibrahim understood that he would soon die and that kingship ownership was transient. And, and that's one of the reasons that helped him leave off Hayat dunya this little incident that happened with this man. All right, let's take a break here and uh, let's go to our Instagram questions and Instagram giving us a hard time. And let's go to Ryan, anything we got today? Yeah, we got some good questions. All right, let's hear it. Um, first one, Hassan asked, what's the balance between extravagance and humility? What is the balance between extravagance and humility? Anytime that anything is up for grabs, that anything is relative or subjective, the answer to it is in the lives of the pious. Look at how the pious Muslims live and be like them. Okay, so... Uh, you're not the first person to ask this question, right? So the pre people before you asked this question and people before you asked this question, they came to conclusions. So anytime there's a judgment call, look at the urf of the salihin. This is called urf al-salihin. The custom, what is the custom of the salihin? So if a, if a person today is called a zahid, right? And we agree he's someone who leaves off the dunya. For sure, he doesn't only own two garments like the olden days, the ancient times. In the ancient times, a Zahid literally owns two garments. And when he washes one, he wears the other, and vice versa. But today, no one owns two garments. Even the most ascetic person will have a couple pairs of pants, a couple shoes, right? Work shoes, maybe dress shoes, even if he's the most ascetic person. So you, it's all relative. So look at the customs of the people around you. Okay, next. This is a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, his brother must have his priorities straight. He said, is there any way for people like us, you know, average people to make Allah our Khalil? Is there any way to make Allah our Khalil? The answer to that is really, we just travel the path of the awliya. We never make Allah our Khalil, nor did Sayyidina Ibrahim make Allah his Khalil. Allah is the one who chooses. Sayyidina Ali was asked one time, how do I come to know Allah? The person's uh, uh, Sayyidina Ali says, how Allah wishes to make himself known to you. 
that's how you will know Allah Ta'ala. So the answer to this is, is we don't do this thing. You just do your job and Allah will open whatever path he wants for you. Next. Okay, so this one, I've just been wondering this for a while. And since we're talking about Ibrahim, like how interrelated are people's names and their virtues that they adopt? How interrelated are people's names and their various virtues? So it is often said, what do you tell me? It is often said that uh, Ibrahim, Ibn Adham, ended up living like Ibrahim al-Khalil. Ibrahim, uh, Sayyidina Ibrahim, wandering around. Of course, the first half of his life, because Sayyidina Ibrahim did eventually, he had children, and he had a lot of children, and he settled. And then he had Sayyidina Ismail in Mecca and Sayyidina Ishaq in Asham. So, um, but it's sometimes, will happen, sometimes, that a person will reflect his name. It's, but not all the time. Next. So this one's kind of related to the afterlife, but it's still relevant today. Um, when we die, are our souls in the grave or in the barzakh? When you die, your soul is in the barzakh, which has a certain connection to the grave. What's the nature of that connection? Allahu Adam, but it seems to be that it hears the visitors of that grave. And it, it hears what's happening, what is said to it at the visitors of that grave. All right, Hassan came back with another one. Mm -hmm. uh, he mentioned what are the basic adhkar, awrad that we should have in our day? Uh, I would go for what is the basic awrad and adhkar. I would go to what's compiled at safinasided.org backslash wird. If you could put that in the comment section, safinasided.org backslash wird. Uh, and there is the adhkar of the morning, which is at Wird al-Latif, and the adhkar of the evening, which is Ratib al-Shahir. And then if someone recites Qur'an, what is what he's capable of in between uh, two pages, ten pages, that's you know within what's considered good, according to you know the way people worship uh, and they do their ibadah, that would be considered very good and stabilizing. Unfortunately, sorry for the... For the Instagrammers, they're giving us a hard time in Instagram. Maybe if we stay off Instagram for the weekend, we'll be back to normal on Monday, but they're, they're just giving me a headache, and I can't see anything. They keep popping up some ridiculous uh, message that says, try again. We limit how often you can do certain things on Instagram to protect our community. To protect our community from what? What did we do to your community? Tell us if we think you made a mistake. You made a mistake. Yeah. Okay, so I can't answer anyone on Instagram. All right, keep going. All right, someone asked, when Allah answers our dua, is it a pre-eternal answer? When Allah answers our dua, is it a pre-eternal answer? Everything that Allah decrees is pre-eternal. All of Allah's qada is, the qada is, is, is something that within Allah's knowledge. Of course, no doubt. Ijabat al-dawah is when you ask for something that happens to also be in Allah's knowledge. Al-Qada is what Allah has planned for you, and Al-Qadr is his ability to bring it into existence. That's the difference. We plan, and we may not be able to bring it into existence. But Allah plans, and his plan will come into existence no matter what. Hmm. So, uh, we don't have two... Oh, someone just popped another one, but I have a question personally. Yeah. What's, what's the seekers like? What level should we be on in looking for answers and signs from Allah compared to just accepting the way that things are? 
the question of what, what, at what level should we be looking for signs from Allah versus the uh, just accepting the way things are and moving on? The, the answer is that we should be at a high level of searching, but the real question is how do we seek a sign from Allah and what does the sign look like? What is an indicator that something is from Allah? So, for example, we have the method of istikhara as our guidance. And the sign that something is from Allah is that it's become easy. It's, uh, it's right in front of it, it's become easy. Which doesn't mean that if something is difficult, that you stop. No. No, when it becomes easy, that's when Allah is supporting you. Right? If it's, become, if it's difficult, that does not necessarily mean that you have to stop it. But if the path is blocked by muharramat, by prohibitions, then you have to stop. Right? If the path to, from X to, to, to Y is, requires you to do certain things that are forbidden, that's when you know you have to stop. Otherwise, you can keep going. But the sign of Allah's tawfiq and His blessing is that He starts to make it easy. Right? So uh, you have to understand that ease is the sign of Allah's blessing, but the absence of ease does not mean you have to stop. The presence of prohibitions, that's where you have to stop. Any other questions for today? I guess one more question. Yeah. Um, a close relative of mine passed away not too long ago. The day before she passed away, she was asking to go home. Does this suggest that perhaps she was referring to her future home in Jannah? Uh, she said a close friend uh, had passed away, and right before she passed away, she was asking to go home. I'm assuming that she means here that she was speaking to herself, right? I want to go home, or just saying that in a in a uh, not not um, semi-conscious state. I'm assuming, and Allah Alam, maybe that is a good sign that they they are speaking about their otherworldly life. We'll never know. Alrighty folks, Jazakumullah Khairan, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, Nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk wal asr, inna al-insana lafi khusr, illa al-lazina amanu wa aminu salihat, wa tawasaw bil-haq, wa tawasaw bil-sabr, wa salamu alaykum.